Hello and welcome to another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. It's likely that during our lives, almost all of us will need the services and skills of care workers. Yet one thing that became clear during the COVID-19 pandemic is that this type of work is frequently undervalued, both in terms of status as well as pay and conditions. This is particularly the case for those who do care work in the private homes of others, often as part of a broader portfolio of home-based tasks. I'm talking, of course, about domestic workers. Some countries are now re-evaluating the status and conditions of their care workers as part of the efforts to attract more workers to the sector and meet growing demand. However, there is a danger that those classified as domestic workers will not benefit from this process. June is the month in which we mark International Domestic Workers' Day. This celebrates the passing in 2011 of ILO Convention 189 on Decent Work for Domestic Workers. This was the first international labour standard that recognised domestic workers for what it is, which is real work. So, this is an appropriate moment to look at the role of domestic workers and how their contribution to the care economy can be recognised properly. With me today are Claire Hobden, who is ILO Technical Specialist on Domestic Workers and Other Vulnerable Groups, Mimi Gelmasco, a migrant domestic worker in the United Kingdom with the organisation Voice of Domestic Workers, and Aijun Poo, who is President of the National Domestic Workers Alliance in the United States. Welcome to you all and thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Uh, Mimi, can I start with you? Uh, you are our migrant domestic worker on this podcast. So can you give us uh, an idea of the range of tasks that you and your colleagues carry out and perhaps those that would qualify as care work? Yes, um, domestic workers, we are multi-skilled workers. We're not only do the cleaning or housekeeping, but uh, we're also doing elderly care and child care as well. So with me, I am a full-time nanny uh, with a German family uh, looking after with two and a half year old girl. And presumably you also do um, a lot of cooking and cleaning tasks as well, which I suppose uh, would be indirect support for care work. Yes. Um, most of uh, most of us here in the UK are all doing not only nannying job, not only uh, elderly care, but uh, also um, aside from that, we're also doing cooking, laundry, ironing. It's all around housekeeping as well, cleaning, yeah. Claire, do you think there is um, enough recognition of the fact that not only are the, the core care, you might say the direct care services, part of a domestic worker's work portfolio, but also these indirect tasks, which of course really are, are part of the care work portfolio? Absolutely. I think that in general, people have an understanding of, of domestic work as being, um, quote, only cleaning or only taking care of uh, the cooking, for example. Um, the ILO has a definition of care work that includes both direct and indirect care services. And I think this became so abundantly clear during the COVID-19 pandemic when, you know, the cleanliness of homes and, you know, employers were very keen on ensuring that their households were, were, were free of the virus. 
and that whole environment, um, I think, was was really, uh, you know, taking care of the environment was really uh, key, right? So that is a form of, of indirect care work um, in our book. And I think it's also really key in, in ensuring healthy lifestyle, right? If you're going to be preparing food for a family, you want to make sure that that food is is healthy, right? So it's another form of provision of, of an indirect care service. Aijun, do you think that there is enough appreciation of how important care work is for, for the broader economy? Uh, I mean, it seems that uh, it, it is often regarded as something that's, you know, nice to have, but not particularly crucial. Whereas uh, a lot of people would say, well, care work is freeing up other people to take part in the economy outside the home. Right. Well, we call care jobs uh, job enabling jobs uh, because they're so fundamental to the economy. And I think we really saw that underscored during the COVID-19 pandemic when in the United States alone, in the two months when the shutdown was uh, begun in March and April of 2020, four million women were pushed out of the workforce. Uh, because of caregiving challenges, because of their lack or loss of access to care work. And so it just goes to show how fundamental care jobs are to the functioning of the economy and to the topic of the future of work. I mean, these are jobs that are undeniably jobs that will be a huge share of the jobs of the future. These are jobs that can't be outsourced and won't be automated no matter what you ask ChatGBT, it's not going to be able to take care of your child. And, um, and there's a clear demand in, in aging societies. In the U.S. alone, we have 4 million people turning 65, aging into retirement, and living longer than ever, thanks to advances in healthcare and technology. And we have 4 million babies born per year as millennials have children. We need more care than ever before. And it really is care workers, a strong care workforce in partnership with family caregivers who are going to be the foundation of our economy going forward. And domestic workers are the ones who are providing those care services in the home, which is the future of care work. As more of us want to age at home and in place and in the community, we're going to be relying upon care workers, domestic workers specifically, to do that work. So, so why is it then that uh, domestic workers seem to be in danger of being cut out of this reevaluation of the value of care? I mean, I thought Convention 189 was supposed to change attitudes as well as change policies. Well, I think that legacies and patterns of exclusion are incredibly difficult to break out of, but this really is our generational moment and opportunity to do that. And Convention 189 is an absolutely powerful tool to do that. We have an opening from the pandemic where each of us, I think, lived through our own version of a care crisis. And it's disruptions in culture like that that allow us the greatest opportunity to shift culture for the next era. So I think now is our moment and conversations like the one we're having right now are exactly how we disrupt the pattern of exclusion. Claire, well, why do you think this is? 
I mean, I think you, you put it well that ILO Convention 189 was supposed to change all of that. And, and it has in a lot of ways. Um, the convention really put domestic work on the map as, as, as a category of, of work, you know, as a, as a legitimate occupation. Um, and it recognized that domestic workers should have the same rights as other workers. So that is essential. And, you know, we already have upwards of 30 countries that have ratified the convention. Um, you know, domestic workers are recognized in the laws as workers in a very high number of countries. I think it's roughly, you know, 88% of the countries that we looked at in a recent study. But um, unfortunately, the the first of all, there's there's two problems, I think. First of all, there are a lot of um, exclusions still in, in most countries around the world. So there are exclusions, um, you know, wholesale where domestic workers are not covered by the, the, the laws uh, at all. There are other countries where they're partially covered by the laws, but they're excluded from specific provisions. And more often than not, they're excluded from a lot of social security rights, uh, like maternity protection, like pensions that really also form the nuts and bolts of, of care rights, um, so to speak. Um, so that's one category of problems. The other one is implementation of these rights. So even where uh, domestic workers have rights, um, labor and social security rights, they're often not applied in practice. And this, uh, to me, is, is the reflection uh, that, you know, on a social level, we still haven't fully recognized domestic work as, as real work. We haven't recognized the extent to which, you know, our family lives and, and our societies and our economy is, is dependent on, on the work of domestic workers. And so now that countries are progressively, you know, uh, adopting new care policies, um, they're, they're doing so, I think, in recognition of the, the care needs of the, 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 you know, the societies, you know, the, their, their um, citizens. But they're not necessarily recognizing that domestic workers are delivering the bulk of these services in, in most countries. We estimate that there are about, um, of all care workers, that domestic workers represent about 22% of them at the global level. But we know that in countries with very few uh, care institutions like early child care um, institutions or elder care institutions, that domestic workers are very likely providing you know, even 80% of care services. So it's really um, a very important sector in the care economy. And, and I think the risk of excluding them uh, really puts in danger the whole uh, care system, really. Mimi, let me ask you, how do you think that your care work is, is regarded? Do you think it's appreciated fully um, as part of the role of domestic workers, not just by your actual employer, but by your society more generally? Here in UK, we are not categorized as um, care worker. We were, um, actually, we, we experienced discrimination, especially during the pandemic, because uh, during the pandemic, uh, they asked us, um, IDs proofs that we are really care worker. We're in uh, care work jobs. We're already doing those jobs. Uh, we are looking for elderly. We are looking for children. We are also vulner very vulnerable, you know. To, uh, but um, th there was a time that they, uh, 
they, we were already refused to be vaccinated because we can't show any proof that we are really working as care worker. Right. Oh, I see. So it only it only it only allowed uh, care workers who were formerly employed in institutions yes. to get yeah. the special care worker category. And uh, Claire and I, what Mimi describes is is that pretty standard worldwide. Well, again, I think that um, you know our estimates show that there's. Um, you know, an increasing number of countries that are extending labor and social security to domestic workers. Um, but still, 81% of domestic workers worldwide are informally employed. That means that they don't have effective access to social security rights um, and therefore also to the package of labor rights. In the U.S., domestic workers have been subjected to many generations of exclusion from basic labor rights like the right to unionize and uh, collectively bargain, the right to minimum wage. Um, but over the years, we have really organized to change that. And um, we have passed legislation to protect the rights of domestic workers in 10 states um, throughout the country. And we have introduced federal legislation called the National Domestic Workers Bill of Rights in Congress and have over 130 co-sponsors um, so we are chipping away at this exclusion. And I think the most important development of the last three years is that care workers organizations, including the National Domestic Workers Alliance, have joined together. And just three weeks ago, we organized the first ever National Care Worker Summit, where um, early childhood educators, child care workers, domestic workers, direct care workers of all stripes came together for the first time in Washington, and um, it really catalyzed the White House um, taking a huge step forward by signing the most sweeping executive order um, in the history of the White House in, um, of any administration to protect the rights of care workers. Now, if I was going to put the counter argument to this, I would say that uh, Care workers who work in institutions like um, uh, senior citizens' homes or children's homes, quite often they have to have qualifications, they have to have sat exams, they maybe even have to be members of, of particular bodies and they get checked regularly to ensure that they, they maintain those standards. This is not something that normally happens to care work carried out on domestic premises, e.g. in the home, and frequently domestic workers don't have those kind of qualifications. Therefore, care workers' institutions have deserve better conditions than those who work in, uh, in people's homes. What would be the counter-argument to that? That in a, a part of the economy, uh, like the care economy that is so vast, um, but for so long has been treated like a Wild West, where there's no standards, there's no guidelines, um, that we should actually be imagining how we create career pathways and opportunities for training and career advancement through that, throughout the entire care economy. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of skill that care workers like Mimi, domestic workers like Mimi, bring to the job every day that have gone unrecognized because of the way that we've devalued care work. So there is a culture shift that is about recognizing the skill 
that is involved in doing this work, whether or not there are official certifications. And there should be official certifications and pathways that allow for domestic workers and other care workers to receive the kind of training and skills enhancement that they need to do their jobs well. Claire, would you like to add to that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was going to add that, you know, we're increasingly um, looking at uh, the issue of, of, of skills recognition and skills training in domestic work. And indeed, I mean, I think that the big gap here is really in the recognition of the skills that domestic workers bring to the table. Um, when they are caring for, for children or for the elderly or preparing meals um, for two, three, five, 10, 20 years, um, you know, these are skills that are developed that are still not recognized. So when we talk about recognition, it's not just sort of a, a social sort of head nod to the, the, the skills that domestic workers bring to the table. We're really talking about needing to recognize these skills with a form of, of certification and with the, the decent working conditions and the wages that should be attached um, to that level of experience that comes from the job. Um, so it's really uh, a whole package that should also be integrated into care policies. So when we're talking about, uh, you know, trying to increase uh, the number of skilled care workers, for us, it's also about recognizing and certifying um, the, the existing skills of domestic workers. Claire, you, you have a good overview of, of the global picture since you're, you're working at, at the ILO. Do we need somehow to get policymakers to reevaluate their approach to this? Because in the end, if, if there's going to be a change in the conditions for care workers, it's going to have to start with policies, doesn't it? Well, we definitely will need to ensure that um, in, in any care policies that are adopted, that the entirety of the care workforce is taken into account, including domestic workers. Um, we see also a lot of bottom-up approaches to this, right? Um, so I, I think that there's some very interesting initiatives by domestic workers unions and in a few countries, organizations of employers of domestic workers, you know, these are households um, that have come together to form associations to represent their needs because these are care services that they ultimately need. And um, some of these employers organizations also really recognize how important it is to ensure decent working conditions for the domestic workers um, in order to receive the quality care services that they require. So a lot of these um, a lot. There are a few examples where there are domestic workers organizations and employers organizations who have come together to also advocate uh, for care policies that are of you know decent quality, um, but also affordable uh, for for households. So really lobbying the government hand in hand uh, to to make sure that these care policies are inclusive and take into account their their needs. And of course, we need, we're going to need to a, a keep and attract more people into this sector because I think all the predictions are that we're going to need more care workers in the future for, for all sorts of reasons. So we need to make conditions good, right? That's right. Um, absolutely. If we want to envision, um, you know, a, a future of work um, where, you know, countries or, or, you know, all families have the, the care 
services that they need, um, then yes, we're talking about workforce development that is also based on decent working conditions, which is why, again, Convention 189 is really central to uh, any any initiative on care, right? We want those rights, those you know, rights to decent work that are enshrined in Convention 189 to be the foundation of the care policies. Great. Well, look, we are, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there because we're a bit out of time for this podcast. Um, but I'd like to thank all three of you for taking part. My guests today have been Mimi Jalmasko, Ijen Poo, and Claire Hobden. Um, thank you very much for joining us, and I hope you will come back soon for another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. For now, goodbye.